You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. This is going to be really fantastic. We haven't had in a field time talking about leads. Now, how many of you actually go and get leads? Leads is one of your methods. So we're gonna make a lot of fun of you, and we're gonna make a lot of fun of leads, and all that, all that comes with that. But we're gonna go through a whole story of that, and maybe, and maybe we walk away with something other than leads. So we'll just find out. So please help me welcome Justin Keller. Thank you so much. A little bit about me. Uh, I'm used to being on stage, but in a different way. I'm a musician, so I get a lot of booze. I get a lot of things thrown at me. So feel free to, you know, do it all. I've got two rescue dogs. Uh, we are a big rescue dog family. In fact, I'm going to a lot. I'm sure you can do a lot of things benefiting um, the dog. And I've got a big wine collection that I haven't been drinking about um, six months uh, for dietary so this is my career. Uh, in 2006, my first real job was a company called Chacha. Does anyone here remember a company called Chacha? No? A little bit? Okay. Fine. Uh, it was a big deal at the time. Uh, we were, you know, founded. I was the first time founding employed. Within uh, two years, we were the 50th biggest website on the internet. And it was a B2C play, even though it was B2C, I was responsible for leads in the industry. So we had people that worked for us as independent contractors. My job was to source them, hire them, screen them. We hired about 70,000 and that was a lot of screening. So even though it was a B2C company, that was my first exposure to a product and generating leads. Then I moved to California, worked for an enterprise mobility company called Vistage. That's when shit got real and everything was leads. That's when my life was consumed by watching social videos at night, understanding what my conversion metrics were. Moved on to a company called Jazz, even more leads. So this was a product-led company. So I had to stop as many people who are product as I could because the more people go in, the more people come out. Yeah, I had to keep my job. Then I started at a company called Will, and I got still more leads. Uh, it was exhausting. And then something magical happened. I moved to Minneapolis to uh, run marketing for a company called Sixer. And for the first time in my life, and it may have been Sandman's fault that I started thinking about this, <laughs> was, you guys, I don't want to think about leads. I want to think about pipeline. Like, that should be, that's ultimately the whole reason we look at leads anyway. Let me focus on pipeline and see what happens. Right? So we, we, we called it ABM. We, we tried to fail a lot of times, but because we were focused on that, eventually. We made it work. And at the end of the day, over half of our revenue was generated through our party outside. And uh, it was a pretty transformative moment for me because my whole career I believe that leads is what marketing is, right? Um, and now we it. So obviously, the company's getting paid. So here we're going to do history of leads. I've done some research, but I hope some of you guys are smarter than me and can correct me on some of this stuff. And to debunk, debunk some thousands about leads, we're going to talk about what you should be measuring if not leads. And this is the thing that I always say when when I say, you know, leads, blah, blah, blah. Like, well, what should I measure instead? Because I need to prove that I'm good at my job. We're going to talk about what you should measure instead. And then uh, quickly, we're going to talk about, you know, how to handle the process now because we're measuring leads, right? I'm going to skip through it because I think I'm running out of time. We've got some personal examples from some campaigns we run for different, uh, you know, different ways of, uh, different positions of the, uh, the customer journey. So first, what is a lead? Does anyone, one volunteer and tell me what they think a lead is. 
This is kind of an existential question, right? Like, what is a lead? <laughs> Nobody. An interested party, that is a possible definition of a lead. Yeah, someone's giving you their name or email address. Just an, e just an email address, okay. <laughs> Yes. All of these, hey, you guys know this is exactly what my destination does here. <laughs> so, is it an email address? Yeah, less than standards. Like, the one thing I hear Sandy's voice in my head when I say less than 1% of the um, uh, new customers. Is it a nurtured email? Is someone you score up? Uh, yeah, 20% of those current ones believe. So, these numbers are apples and oranges, but let's just pretend now you're at 1.2% conversion rate. Is it an MQL that you nurture, you send direct mail to, whatever? Yes, and that leads to conversion rate, or the MQL to leads to MQL, I'm sorry, it's on my glasses. Leads to MQL conversion rate, 31%. Inbound request, interested party. That's what we call a hot lead, right? And everybody loves hot leads. No marketer can take a hot lead out of it. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> by the time that they are a hot lead, they filled out that form, they're showing interest most of their buying are done, right? They've already informed their opinion of you, competitors, and they're ready to kind of just get serious with you. So it's in a way, not that how to be, you have someone that is gonna be a very competitive seller, um, most of them. So how did it become so obsessively? I actually, in the process of making presentation, tried to like look up the etymology of what a lead is, so us marketers, when we think of lead, where did that word come from? And I could not find anything. The closest thing I can think of is that it came from like how detectives follow leads. Yeah, I think that's it. That's my best guess. Do have a better guess on up here? No? It's a weird thing that like all of a sudden that, that is so fundamental to our existence. And where did that even come from? Well, it came from sales. Yeah, that's where it did. But where it shifted. Yeah. Like I need a lead, so I get, yeah, I need to chase down a sale, like pointing in the right direction. Just like, you know, I'm a detective on, you know, looking for murder. So, <laughs> welcome to the sales and marketing. You know, it's chasing numbers. Um, here's how I think we got here. And again, please correct me because I'm not, I'm just like aging the hour. In 2005, marketing automation and CRMs met. This is when these two, these two lovely people became a couple and they said, please, one another. And all of a sudden, we were, as marketers, able to quantify our jobs. We're saying, oh, okay, if I get enough leads in, theoretically, the sales team should be able to sort out the bodies. One of my old companies, uh, my CRO, literally said, just get me as many leads as you can, I'll let the sales team figure it out, right? And that was our strategy. Even then, and I was a little baby marketer, pretty dumb. I was like, that seems like a bad idea. Um, <laughs> so, skip ahead 10 years, if you look at Google Trends, lead generation begins to fade as a search term. So that's a, a loose proxy as to you know, how, how much marketers felt about the term. Uh, it was the only term that's found in the same year. Coincidence, maybe. Um, and then skip to 2021. Now it's about good market teams. We've realized that if we want to be smart and efficient, we want to grow revenue, that requires coordination and cooperation between sales, marketing, customer success teams too. We, we talk a lot about expanding um, in our customer base. Um, and if you heard Sam's great keynote on Monday morning, he went into much better detail on that than I can. But this showed up really, really well in um, this escape of ABM report, which came out last year. We saw that when COVID hit, there was a huge rush towards ABM. 
Unfortunately, our producer understood it. In 2019, 23% of companies reported that they had an ABM program in place. A year later, that number dropped to 5.8%. So basically, 94% of companies have had an ABM program at the time um, it was full swing. And you can, you can see that swing towards new companies working the practice because this bar graph, that uh, purple that, that uh, early um, maturity ABM phase was much smaller. This line swelled in 2020 because they're like, oh shit, we gotta figure something out. It's time to do ABM. By the way, we're uh, in the midst of doing our 2021 report and the data is bearing out pretty much the same way. So it's, it's pretty interesting that these things are holding so tight. Now, of uh, mature ABM programs, only 10% of them sort of needs to be API. Right? People that have been doing ABM for at least a year, maybe more, have built it into their, their revenue structure. They don't need leads. They know exactly who they're going after. Their sales team works with them. They know exactly that's who their audience is going to hear. Why would you need leads? So, oh, 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 oh. Oh, I just ruined it. This is a true or false question. <laughs> is it possible to hate your revenue goals without generating leads? Yes, no? Raise your hand if you think yes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like I said, less than one percent we become customers. Um, but modern go to market teams are able to generate awareness, interest, and opportunities the right way. As a marketer, that feels so much better. It felt I agree with me or not, don't, but when it, when my CRO was just like get me as many leads as you can, I felt pretty slimy. It didn't feel good. I got into market I didn't get into market until I started. And I would scan people, I got to market and sell and build stuff, I want to work with people, tell stories. And this is kind of the new era of that. So we get so many more data, so much more data, so many more channels. We get to do that again. It's a little bit like old school marketing once again. So, for now, major leads, what are we measuring? It's kind of the old school, like this is what I imagine John uh, Draper from Advent is going to look like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one, awareness. Are people aware of us, what we do? Opportunity creation. Okay, great, people are aware. How do we make them into potential customers? Great, they're interested. How do we move them through our sales cycle quicker? And then lastly, great, they're customers. Can we get them to buy more from us, right? This is from the 2020 report. This lines up exactly. The goals of uh, an ABM program line up. New business generation, opportunity creation. Customer retention. Pipeline acceleration, we will see through faster. Customer expansion. That just happens to line up with our, you know, terms think of as the four pillars of ABM. Excuse me, so quick, quick uh, copy-based advertising. There is a misassociation of ABM with advertising. You can have a great ABM program and not send, send a single app, right? It's a great tool to help, but you don't need to do that. So really what you need to think about is coverage of the people at the company you want to sell to. How many of them have you gotten in front of or managed to identify? The engagement, are they showing up to your website? Are they responding to the salespeople's emails? Are they opening your direct mail package, right? Again, you want to have ad training this. And then lastly, web business. Knowing who's visiting what web page becomes super powerful when you're trying to understand who's engaging and who's just trying to, you know, look for a new job or, you know, straight up type into your URL. So the truth is, your sales team does not want leads. They don't want leads because that's more work for them, to be honest, right? They want opportunities. And let's talk about how you do that. We're not optimizing leads, we're optimizing for awareness. Occupation, pipeline acceleration, customer expansion. We're about halfway through here, so there's some pretty slides, but I'm gonna go through quickly because I don't want to spend time just 
looking at our own uh, things. So, if we're optimizing for awareness, how many people are we reaching, right? We have 100 target accounts. How many of them have we actually been able to get in front of whether it's with an ad or with, you know, even face-to-face conversation or whatever? Who's showing engagement, right? So, we know that 90% of our uh, target accounts are we're reaching. How many of them are actually taking the bait, clicking an ad, showing up on the website? And then lastly, if they are visiting your website, how many of them are visiting the right pages? Whether it's a demo page, a product information page, I don't know, whatever page is important to you and your audience. And here's why. Like first, you gotta start with the awareness piece. We earlier this year, primarily because they were very cheap at the time, we, we bought a bunch of uh, billboards and chance to throw all up and down one on one. And billboards are patently the least ABM thing you can do. Like, this is the opposite of ABM. But we did it because there's a lot of progressive marketers in San Francisco. That's a big buying how they source. So if you're, you know, let's like live the dream, the brand drives the man. Let's make sure our brand gets in front of people. So that's the first step of starting meaningful awareness. Great animation. <laughs> so I'm going to go really quickly through a uh, campaign we ran for uh, awareness. Uh, last year, we bought a uh, conversational marketing tool, a chat um, tool called Ramble. And it was due to the terms family. We really just wanted to make sure the right people were aware of it. So we identified a target segment of customers that met our basic ICP score, but were also showing intent on chatting to this promoter. And really, we just wanted to start a conversation. We weren't really trying to sell hard. We just wanted to let the most important people know that, hey, we did on the block. We'd like to tell you about some chat. Third, we get a puppy person. We, we worked with the ASPCA, and we said, hey, hop on the phone with us. Let's have a conversation about terms of chat, and if you do it, we will uh, donate on your behalf to rescue a puppy. And it worked, it worked super well. Is it a little emotionally manipulative? Yes. <laughs> but it definitely worked. And so that's, that's kind of how we went around creating awareness. We, we didn't want to tell the entire world because that would be a waste of money and energy. We just wanted to tell the right people to be prepared. And then it goes on to opportunity creation. So when we're optimizing for op creation, we're looking at how many accounts are surging, right? That's terminus parlance, but you know, you might think of it as how many, if you have an engagement model, how many of them are actually just avoiding marketing qualifiers? How many of them are surging? How many from buying signals? So, like, of those, are any of them also showing intent to do a lot more or something else? How many opportunities have we been able to create? One of the most, as we were trying to figure this whole EVM thing out back in the day, one of the most transformational things we did was we had multiple, I'm sure you guys all have multiple tiers of accounts you go after. Our tier A or tier one or whatever you want to call this, we printed out and we hung on the wall and we had the names of the people that were associated with it next to it. And I said to our uh, outbound team, Whoever is able, we're, we're running all these ads here, we're running towards these people. Whichever one of you is able to best convert the most of these into opportunities, I paid for a trip for them to go to Cancun and stay in a resort for a week. It was like $2,000 investment. They went wild for it. They were using the ads, they were using all the tools they had at their disposal. They were being extremely strategic in using them because it was not a volume for them. There was 100 people on that list, each of them had 10. So they were able to, rather than you know, smash the phones all day, get really thoughtful about making that outreach, which to me, sorry, as a marketer who shared a lot of the brand, was the killer solution, because they weren't, you know, doing a volume play where it was impersonal. Um, they were able to really develop a relationship, which I felt was the right thing to do. So anyways, that and then ultimately, and this is probably the key metric, Mike um, and Austin and I talk a lot about Python all the time, that's kind of the most important thing. So how do you go about doing this? I kind of went through this. Identify the segments, 
deliver relevant campaigns. And this is probably the most important thing in ABM, and I've heard a lot of good stories about it this week, so I'm really grateful that you guys are, are doing this. It's not a matter of identifying a segment and then just showing the same ads to them that you would show, you know, in a, a Google, you know, display, right? Like getting thoughtful and intentional and showing the right ads to the right people is the whole thing. And, uh, and I know you guys have this because I've heard it a lot, so it's great. Making sure sales is accountable for taking the, the lead. Not, I, not that kind of taking the lead, I'm taking over. <laughs> and then working through the rest of the right? This is not, and this is another thing I hate about this. Used to be, I, I, I harvested a lead, I passed it to sales, and there was that lead again. Like, good luck, close it, great, no, I don't know. When it's an account and it's something you work hard to engage in with, create for funds and campaigns for, you care a lot more about it. You want to follow through the buying cycle. Not only is it because it's a cool thing you care about, it moves you through faster. And if you're able to, you know, days off your sales cycle, that adds up two weeks at the end of your fiscal year, which if you had a fiscal year, you would love to have. Oops, oh, sorry. Oh, this little twister close. So when that happens, when your sales and your marketing teams are working together, amazing things happen. This is what we're looking at, this concentric circle starting in the middle, is pilot moving out as you move further out, you get more mature companies. When you're a late stage, late maturity company, 79, is that the right number, 79? 79% of opportunities are generated came from a company's approach. So imagine that if 80% of your business were shots that you were calling. All, no one's, no leads are going away, we're still getting leads, we're still focusing on you know, traditional demand gen. But that cushion is so much more powerful because you're able to bring up that 20% is pretty much, you know, right now, or you know, five, 10 years ago, 100% of our job was bringing in leads. And now we get to create great experiences that means something to real people, and then the rest is just you know, that other 20% you can kind of go from. So, how do we go about creating ops? Um, this is an example of a campaign we ran for closed lost opportunities. People that were interested, were in my site with us, decided not to move forward for whatever reason. And here's what we did. We, we made custom coffee. We worked with a local roaster. We had them at source the most ethically, you know, the uh, most ethical means that they could. We worked with them on the design and everything. And then we hosted intimate coffee tasting workshops where the people that actually roasted the beans sat down with these close lost opportunities. We're like, here's all the information about the beans that we just sent you. Here's a really cool mug. Here's an AeroPress. Um, and we did a little coffee class. That was kind of it. We just wanted to start the conversation back up again. But the whole time, we were kind of back to the brand and, and making sure that we were able to kind of provide product value to them, but it was not the first thing. We just wanted to make a nice copy experience for people who were having their own last six months. Oh, sorry, I'm going all over the place, you guys. Pipeline progression is a matter of, and this is this might take some months, but this is a really important thing. What's your average deal cycle for your pipeline velocity? Being able to understand that and baseline that and then working to reduce it is a cool challenge. And if you're doing it, you're, you're doing some really, really advanced marketing stuff, and that is the kind of thing where if you say to your head of sales or your CFO, your CEO, whoever, that look, we're really taking a focus on improving our sales cycle, they're gonna go, yeah, that's some great marketing. Um, it's a really powerful thing to be able to do. And I think if last year, if 2020 was all about customer retention, when the market and the economy was still tumultuous, I think this year, and I'm hearing a lot more, is gonna be about pipeline acceleration. So moving things through faster, and then what you're wondering, how many you win, how many you lose? Optimizing for winning more is a pretty obvious thing to do. I'm running low on time here, so 
I want to show you this. Uh, this is how Terminus uh, does our tech acceleration. These are the ads, and these are out of date at this point, but we automate all these ads here based on their status in our, um, uh, their opportunity status in Salesforce. As they progress through, their ads automatically switch. Once they become uh, into the evaluation stage where we're getting a little bit serious with talking details, they're automatically triggered to send a report copy, of course. Send the same last book, pretty soon we have to update that same new book. And we don't have to touch this. This just happens. We have to get traded once in a while. But these are all automated. And it's one of those things where you put these on, you walk away for three months, odds are you come back and your, your, uh, your, your average build cycle is sped up a little bit. Okay, we're getting into the home picture. Customer expansion. How many of them are up for the renewal in the next six months, or three to six months? Get at least a quarter out, depending on your deal cycle and how quickly your pack is, but this is kind of always about three to six months, and these start to become our cohorts of customers. Um, we optimize for our churn rate. We had two years last year improving our churn rate when it was most important during COVID. How many ops have you created with existing customers? And you know, the great thing to think about during your, your scorecard is if you're CMO. And how many new contacts were added to an account? I think, um, Turn yourself into marketers and smart marketers move around a lot. So this is something that we, we keep a close eye on because we want to make sure we're, we, we've got our tentacles in all parts of the account if, if we need to have So let's go through two journeys. This is the step we're going to hammer this home. Here's what it's like for a lead. I'm a lead. I show up to your website. I really don't want to fill out this form for this white paper, but it might have the staff engine that will to fill out this form. And then what happens, and this is why we don't fill out forms, is we know we're gonna get calls and calls and calls and we're gonna get email and email and email. We're gonna have to opt out more than once because the email doesn't make it the first time. But maybe, maybe it worked. Maybe I clicked on the right things in the email and now I'm a commercial qualified lead. Great. Let me talk to a salesperson. Okay, salesperson wants to have my other stakeholders done. Okay, well shit. Now I gotta look at their challenges, how they're trying to find me. That salesperson has to reintroduce himself 18 times. It's not a great process. Maybe we a deal, right? It's kind of a traditional lead funnel. Versus an account approach where you already know, hey, you're, you're my next customer. This is this is like what we do. You are who we serve. There's already a good value that we can, we can say to you. Great. All we need to do is make sure that you're aware of that fact, right? And you can do that in any number of ways. And this is why I love ABM because that's a really great part of, of um, a marketing program. You don't have to get them to fill out a form or whatever. You just have to get them to click on it, show up on your website, open an email, open a, a box, what have you. And if you do that and you've got it instrumented the right way, your sales team will know. They'll be like, oh, that account that's in my territory is showing a lot of interest. I'm gonna pick up the phone. Or you got a chat solution there on my website. I'm gonna make sure I greet them personally and create a report space. By committing, you're already thinking about this whole time. You kind of already know who your stakeholders are. So you've been figuring out how to make sure that your awareness is going across the entire thing. There's a lot, it's a lot quicker when you've got so much back and forth scheduling. And then great, maybe you win, maybe you don't. But it's a much better experience. It's connected and it feels better as a marketer. So, who's heard of the team framework? We all have. Target, engage, activate, measure. So, target builds uh, several, not just one, but like, you know, start with one, but build many types of segmented lists. Remember that personalization drives engagement. And that is like, as far as long as I've been in the ABM, that's golden setback for a lot of time. Make sure that your sales is bought in. Over communicate, make sure they're held accountable because they are your partners in this. I've got to say this a lot, but ABM was a really bad name because it doesn't include sales, um, and it really should. And then remember the pipeline is the number one metric for you to be measuring against. Now, what is my CMO, my CFO, 
my CEO, uh, won't let me stop my during weeks. Well, remember, like, <laughs> he gives me money, I can do it right now. Like, no problem, I can get you leads. That's not what they want. They want predictable pipeline. They want the ability to call people that want to buy them. Leads is a long hangover to get there. Being calling your shop, being official, being intentional is the way to do it. Remember, this is a lot more efficient. Instead of capturing as many leads as you can, having a email marketing person or marketing house person nurture them, having the sales team call down a list of a thousand people to try and find one that might be interested, takes a long time, it's exhausting, and it's expensive. If you've got a tightly defined ICP and you've got a great messaging program, it cuts through a lot of that quickly. Your leads won't stop meaning. I think that's a, a thing that I've heard a lot of people that are dipping their toe in the ADF say, like, well, what do I do with you? Like, how do I get leads now? The leads will still come in. You're not going to, no one's saying stop doing your management efforts. What we're saying is there's a better way, and inbound leads can be considered more gravy than they can a live flow of the company. Remember, if our competitors get really good at saving anything before we do, they're going to start to laugh us pretty soon. There is a bit of an arms race in B2B marketing on who can get really good at this really quickly, and there will be winners in leads. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, is when you're doing this the right way, when you've got your teams aligned, you've got your campaigns aligned, and you're thinking about them not in terms of a lead, but as a customer who's got an entire life cycle that may last many years, you will by default start to do better campaigns. You'll create a better customer experience, and that feels good as a marketer, feels great as a customer. They're gonna be stickier than a luxury brand a little more. And this is my last slide, I think. It's called account-based marketing, not lead-based marketing. Someone said that to me, and I was like, holy shit, yeah, that is <laughs> exactly right. If we're an ABM, why, why are we so obsessed with leads? So, uh, I think by virtue of you having someone in this room, I know who's here. So, we're gonna send you a care package with a bunch of stuff, including an ebook that is uh, loosely based on this presentation. It's really cool that it's protected, just trying to figure out where we got so obsessed with leads. You can follow me on Twitter, find me on LinkedIn, whatever. And that's it. Thank you guys so much. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.